Yeah, I think that we are the cats or the kettles in this. I don't know. Pick one uh, in this scenario. The cats meow. No, the cat's <laughs> calling. The cat's calling the kettle black. That that aphorism is the one I was thinking of. Oh, okay. What is that again? It's the the pot calling the kettle black. Oh, the is pot. Oh, yeah, not the cat. Yeah, I can't even get my. <laughs> Whoa. The cat calling the the oh, yeah the pot the pot kettle call, yeah. you know whatever. <laughs> this is gonna be a good okay. episode. This is gonna be a good episode for sure. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Andrew, and I'm Michael, and this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And on today's episode, it's going to be Michael and myself talking about another trail race, but this time it was Michael <laughs> doing it. Um, so hopefully he learned from all of my mistakes and, you know, <laughs> did things a little bit more smarter than I did. Uh, but before we launch into that, that <laughs> <laughs> before we launch into that, though, I want to give a, a shout out to a couple athletes that we've uh, that we're either friends with or have talked to in the past. Um, so first off, Tamara Jewett, who is on the show very recently, um, she had a phenomenal race at the 70.3 Worlds, and she clocked the second fastest run of the day, uh, which is, you know, fantastic. So the only person who beat her on the run was Lucy Charles. And, well, Lucy beat everyone on the run and the bike <laughs> and the swim. Uh, so it was it was a bit of a clinic today. But, uh, yeah, Tamara, I mean, congratulations. Awesome race. I haven't watched the actual coverage yet, but I'm going to go back and catch up on that over the week while I'm doing some training. And... Uh, at the same time, I'd like to give a shout out to Jackson Laundry, who was fifth in the, the men's race today. So another super strong performance. So it's awesome to see the Canadians out there really standing up to the rest of the world and, and showing what we're made of. Yeah, totally. I, I was super keen to see see both of them do so well. And uh, yeah, Jack's, uh, Jack's another guy that we we, we haven't uh, had a chance to work with uh, in the in the aero testing space so far, but uh, he's another local, another Southern Ontario guy that... Uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, we can have a do a little bit of work with him in the next little bit. Maybe um, well, this year is kind of coming to a close, but if we get some decent weather and if he's back in town soon enough or or early next year, but uh, yeah, Tamara do it killed it on the run and i read her race recap so she had some she had a little bit of trouble in the swim and you know wasn't in the best place on the bike so given given that i think she she moved up um i think four or five places in the run which is always awesome Mm -hmm. Uh, so good job to both of them all right so why don't we take a step back and look at the much more amateur side of racing (laughs) yes (laughs) and i guess you've got a race report that you want to share with everyone yeah, I do. It was um, I did the uh, Ultra Trail Hurricana race in Charlevoix, Quebec, uh, last Saturday. We're recording this on Saturday the 18th, so this was the 11th that I raced. Um, my longest race to date. It was a 65k uh, uh, trail race in a in an event that has everything from like a 5k race to 125k. Uh, and you know, kudos to the folks that put it on. It was phenomenally well run. It was a fairly high production event for a for a trail, uh, at least the trail races that I've done. Um, really, really high production values and uh, really very, very well executed. So big kudos to the race directors for putting on an amazing race. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a my whole season's been <laughs> a bit of a wash. 
Um, I was supposed to do Canada Man, and then the training just really wasn't there over the summer after they moved the the date. Uh, so this was going to be my really my like one and done for for 2021. What year are we in? 2021. <laughs> I actually have to look at my calendar. Uh, and so it was, uh, you know, the training for it was definitely subpar. <laughs> I, uh, I I I built up my running, not maybe not as quickly as you had, Andrew, when you were 24 <laughs> sinister, but uh, also I had a little bit longer to go than you did. Um, mm-hmm. So I think my longest run was a road was a very kind of was a fairly easy road run. Uh, that was just under three hours. Shout out to past guest Tara Posnikov who who dragged me out for that run, and that was like uh, a week before <laughs> a week before this. So it was like very much cramming for an exam kind of scenario. Uh, and uh, I was thinking that this race would take me about you know seven and a half ish hours, and it it took a lot longer, folks. But uh, you know, I figured like yeah, you know, if I can run half the distance, and then I'll, I'll probably be doing some walking because there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of elevation in this race, which there certainly was. Um, so I figured that I could, you know, I could kind of hack it, and that I could. I knew what it was like to do a seven and a half, eight hour race. I've done them before. Um, I knew my nutrition was probably going to be okay. It wasn't going to be a very hot day, so I fi- I felt I was you know undertrained, but. You know, I didn't. I didn't expect anything too too terribly, you know, <laughs> rough to happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was overall. I was really pleased with with how the race went. Um, I I got the race I deserved for sure. Um, definitely felt the lack of training, and I'll go into a little bit of detail. But uh, overall, I think uh, I think the you know I handled it as well as I, as well as it could as well as I could have I think on the day. It's always like you know when you're when you're on race day or even when you're like race week. There's not much else that you can do about you know fitness, and you basically have to do your best to you know to play Hold with it the together. hand that you're dealt. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, yeah, just just not quit. Um, but uh, the most the, the the first thing that that really struck me when I was out there is. Uh, I always, not always, but recently I had the kind of the image of myself as a very, as a, at least a quite a rather competent trail runner. Uh, I've done a lot of, you know, a lot of trail running in Toronto, uh, and there are some pretty good trails here. Um, and I was, you know, I thought that I could, uh, I knew how to run technical trails because there's, there's, you know, there are a lot of switchbacks and a lot of fast stuff here. Uh, a lot of somewhat technical descents. And, um, yeah, so I, you know, I was coming in kind of uh, bullish on my, on my competency and I, I was disabused of that very quickly <laughs> because you know, people told me that the, the terrain was technical and I thought technical just meant like twisty and turny, but no, technical means giant fucking boulders and roots <laughs> and stumps and pretty much a whole, the, the, the whole way through. I'm exaggerating. It wasn't the whole way through, but probably a good 60, 70% of this race. And when, uh, you know, and you got right into it, um, right into that kind of like technical single track. And at first it was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, very quickly I realized that this is going to be like a much longer day than I thought. And that towards the end, the technical stuff really took its toll because even on some flat sections, I, I would, I, I had to walk because I just mentally could no longer, like I couldn't like my my like my motor cortex couldn't process the information mm-hmm. it needed to, to for me to navigate the stuff uh, at any, you know, at a run. So I, I there were there were sections kind of at, you know, the 55 and past that kilometer mark where I was walking the technical stuff. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so that I always kind of enjoy being disabused of of notions of of competency because that just that's an opportunity to to get better at something. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's very similar. I found with skiing, where when I lived in Ontario, I thought you know I'm a pretty good skier. And you come to Alberta and you tell people you're a good skier and they're jumping down rock faces and, yeah. you know, doing other crazy stuff. And it's, it's the same thing where you, you think you're good at something based on what you have available to you, but there's always going to be someone better than you. Like it's, uh, it's humbling, but it's also encouraging thinking like there's so much more I can get out of this sport by, you know, just looking a little bit further abreast of where I'm used to traveling and training. Um, and it's so cool when you start to expose yourself to this and you get, you know, a new taste of some new train or new, uh, race mentality. And as long as you're learning something, I think that's a fantastic experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, boring or not interesting when you're, when you, when you're the, you know, you're really good at something to keep doing it, right? Like the, the challenge, I mean, the challenge is always there. You can always go faster, further. But uh, when it's when it's such a big, you know, such a big hole in your in your ability that, you know, with with the right kind of practice you can fix. I think uh, I think that's that's super exciting. I always I always like finding myself, you know, on the on the right side of the Dunning Kruger curve, like realizing that I don't know anything (laughs) rather than thinking that I know everything. I think that's always like, you know, it's a it's you know, it's a little bit of a kick kick to the ego, but it's uh, it's a satisfying process. We should almost have a drinking game for the number of times you mentioned that curve and uh, <laughs> take a shot when Michael mentions that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, dining or Kruger. Yes, you get you have to take a shot. Um, so, there, I mean, there was a lot of elevation and I, I planned to walk that and I did and that worked out OK. And the eight stations were, were, were you know, a nice little reprieve. But um, what ended up kicking me in the ass other than the the technical trail was was a lack of fitness in a way that I did not expect. So I figured that, okay, the legs mm-hmm. are going to take a beating, but the, I figured the walking breaks would be, would, would save them. And that pretty much held. Like I only started to feel like really, I mean, they didn't feel great past like 40 <laughs> kilometers, but uh, I only started to cramp, uh, I only started to get quad cramps in the back, like really like the last 5k, which is f- totally fine. Um, but what killed me was, um, uh, there are a couple of really long downhills. So the, the whole, the race is about 1900 meters up and a little bit less than that down. It's a point to point, uh, over the 65 K. And then there was a section of uh, pretty rough gravel road. That's part with the first really long, steady, steep downhill. And I don't know, maybe 1500 meters. Um, at, I don't know. I would guess at about somewhere between eight and 10% negative minus eight or 10% grade downhill. Um, and I was, I was having a good time at that point and, uh, I was running past a lot of people and I, in, you know, technically I know how to run downhill and I, I, I feel comfortable doing it. And I was kind of worried about my quads, but you know, that was going to be something we, we fixed, we worked on later. But what ended up happening was I got a terrible cramp, um, across my upper abdominals. And so first I thought it was a, like an, like a, a diaphragm cramp, like a side stitch, but then it just went all the way across, like right to left. <laughs> and so much so that I couldn't, like, I couldn't take an, I couldn't breathe in because they, they would hurt so much. So then after I passed all these people, <laughs> I felt pretty good about myself. I had to like, I couldn't even walk down this hill. I had to stop. And I like stood in the shade of a bush for, I don't know, maybe two or three minutes while this cramp <laughs> subsided. And then I walked the rest of the downhill. And those are just like postural muscles that don't have that kind of, that don't have that kind of training. Like on the, the spectrum of hmm. what causes a cramp, that was not dehydration and that was not like electrolyte imbalance. That was straight up under training of those, that specific muscle group to that load. 
Well, I mean, it's better than passing a whole bunch of people and having them pass you while you're throwing up on the side of the road. So at least you didn't do that. <laughs> no, I that wasn't was my throwing experience. up. <laughs> but I was just like, it was funny because, you know, if I was throwing up, there would be a reason why I'd be on the side of the road. Here I was just like standing there like a statue trying not to move, not not to move my torso too much. And then they, they sort of like, you know, I walked a little bit and then I jogged a little bit. Um, I wouldn't jog downhill anymore. And then they sort of went away and then, but anytime I would, I would start to pick up the pace on any downhill, they would start to creep up again. And so yeah, I had to, it was something to carefully manage for the rest of the race. I can kind of relate to that a little bit on my first Ironman. It was uh, Mont Tremblant, which was phenomenal race course, but, um, it wasn't so much core muscles. Cause I mean, you're running on the road. If you need your core muscles that much, uh, the same way, at least for, for trail running, then you're not running very well, but, um, the, the thing I had was actually my quads where it felt like there was, um, you know, when you do a workout and you're doing squats, for example, mm-hmm. and you're, you're really going to fatigue and to failure. Um, and it was just that kind of pain that I felt in my quads. And it was almost like a cramp type pain, mm-hmm. but, uh, that was not something I was expecting. And I think it was just lack of strength and lack of resiliency in the, the quads. Like I had the fitness, but it was just the muscles weren't there. And even to start running again near the end of my race, it was, it was painful, um, and it sounds like that's kind of similar to what you had. And it was, for me, it was just lack of preparation in certain areas. I thought I was prepared, but clearly I wasn't. Um, so, yeah, you don't know until, you know, and, um, it was, uh, I, it, it sounds similar. I mean, it, you know, cramps are, cramps are hard to understand, but I'm very confident that I know what my, what my problem was. I also hadn't been doing any strength training. I kind of let that fall by the wayside and, and postural, postural strength training is, is hugely important. It's something that I, I preach quite a bit. Um, and I was doing exactly none of it. And for, for a, a trail race that ended up taking me, you know, eight hours, 40 minutes, um, that was just, you know, my body was just not up to the task. Um, but interestingly enough, like I, it never got super dark, you know, uh, mentally, I mean, so there was, uh, I was able to kind of, uh, you know, power through and then take breaks when I needed to take breaks. And I think that one of the saving graces of having a a course that was so hilly that had so much elevation, uh, that required walking. I mean, there were segments that were, you know, 1500, 2000 meters in length, an average of again that eight or nine degree uh, grade, and even when they weren't very technical, like I just don't have the the fitness. Even if I was fresh and everything was great, I don't have the fitness to run that. That's a walking segment for me, mm-hmm. and probably I imagine for like ninety five percent of my fellow participants. Uh, so there's no guilt or anything associated with it. That's just a tactical move, and those were good breaks. Those were good breaks from running because. Anytime you kind of can change your modality a little bit, it, it gives you that 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 mental break. It gives your your brain that motor cortex a little bit of a vacation from doing this one repetitive movement, which is now very uncomfortable because lots of stuff hurts um, <laughs> for for periods of time. I felt the same way about aid stations too. Like when you know the two two to three minutes that I would take in an aid station was wonderful because I just I could think about something else. You know, getting my bottles filled and getting my like maple syrup and you know not not having to worry about like left foot, right foot anymore, or at least for a few minutes. So one of the things that I've always noticed is if I stop running, um, unless I'm planning on doing a walk run, uh, strategy for a race, but when I stop running, it's so hard for me to get up and then go again. And when I did Sinister Seven, I saw a lot of the other people who were doing the solo race, they'd come into the aid stations and they'd sit down and they'd, you know, towel off and change some clothes and they'd hang out there. Some of them got massages at the, the, uh, the service service center, uh, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Get a quick tune up. But, um, 
it's, uh, I, I don't think I'd be able to do that where you stop for five minutes and your muscles start to cool down, your heart rate comes down. And it's almost like you go into the, the post-race recovery mode where, um, for me anyway, like things start hurting instead of having that adrenaline and that motion, keeping it going. So mm-hmm. it's almost like it's a mixed blessing sometimes to, to walk because you get to save a little bit of energy, but you need to be able to mentally get back on the horse and, and get going again. Yeah, totally. I think it, I think there's a sweet spot, and uh, it's probably different for different people. There were lots of folks sitting down. I never sat um, during this race, so I'd always be standing at the aid stations and while while waiting in line and getting my stuff. Um, but yeah, there were lots of folks who were sitting down, and I I would personally not choose to sit down, but I don't know that um, you know. Again, there's probably a, an individual decision making process here. Uh, definitely, it definitely does merit practice though so if you're you know if you you know if you know that you're going to do a race which will require stoppages or walk run breaks it does merit you know training some of that in your um you know in your routine for us for like in toronto if you're just doing a long road run you're just you're going to hit some lights right so you're going to get some you know 30 to 60 to 90 second breaks whether you like it or not um and though you know you kind of retrain that getting that engine going again but what's funny was that because of because of how shot my my muscles were and how tired my brain was by the end there were most when i was even when i was able to run except for the last 2 2 kilometers or so when i was like okay well you know this is the finish line quote unquote sprint at uh, at 5 minutes 30 per kilometer um the <laughs> which uh, feels phenomenally fast which, at the end well, of a race I like that i felt like i was flying yeah but uh yeah the rest of it i was i, I remember looking at my heart rate which is where my uh, well, I'll get to it in a second. I was I remember looking at my heart rate towards the end of the race. And when I was running, my heart rate was 20 beats per minute lower than when I was walking up the hills. Because when I could, when I was walking up the hills, like if you think of like a power hike up a hill, I could still do that fairly well. And then my heart rate would, you know, would hit my, you know, mid, mid one forties, which for me is kind of like up kind of upper sort of right around that aerobic threshold. Um, but when I was running because of like just the, the peripheral fatigue or the central nervous system fatigue, pick one was so high that I could barely manage like 125. So there's a 20 beat per minute difference between walking and running for me in the direction that you would not expect. So I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. It's, it's always a little humbling when you're going up a hill and you check your heart rate and you're, you're walking up the hill and it's 170. And yeah. like that happened to me a couple times times and the, the sinister seven and it's like this is this is a hill <laughs> like, yeah. this is tough work well you so, also had and, the heat where I, I you know was the conditions were pretty true. nice yeah. here like i mean i think it hit maybe 20 degrees and it was it was sunny but it was mostly not that much of it was exposed there was quite a bit of tree cover and uh yeah it was a it was just a really nice day there were parts of it that were cold you know i was just like oh i wish i had a, uh, another layer Hmm. Yeah, I definitely did not feel that in my race, but it's different challenges, right? Like you can go the opposite end of the spectrum because I know there was that race in China where there was like 30 people died or something or 100 people died. It was well, I don't know. It was, oh, yeah, there were definitely deaths. I don't know what the number was. We should look it up. So we're actually reporting on it accurately. But it was yeah, it was it was part of the I think it was part of the Ultra Trail series. So this was you know, the UTHC, the race that I did is part of the Ultra Trail World Series. And I think the China race was part of that too. So it was, as Andrew checks that, uh, that those stats for us. Um, interestingly, 21, 21, 21 yeah. deaths, which wow. is insane. But it was yeah. supposed to be a warm day and a winter storm blew in in our mountain peak, I think. That's, yeah, that's wild. They, they actually had a pretty strict, um, uh, uh, pretty strict 
a set of stuff that you had to carry with you, which I was annoyed about because it was going to be nice weather and I was that wasn't doing it overnight. But uh, um, I understand why they would do it. But uh, one thing I want to talk about is is in in pacing a race like this, right? Because it is so varied and it's so long. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do for pacing. So what I did was the plan was to keep a heart rate cap um, for the first little bit and then kind of go by feel, which is exactly what happened. I was uh, I was running with a with a runner. Andrew Hale, who, uh, who was a, like an amazing roomie and, and like, uh, you know, I'm really grateful that I did it with somebody else and not by myself. Um, and so we ran for the first maybe 30 kilometers together. And he's a, like a noticeably stronger road runner than I am. Um, so he kept on like pulling away and I'm like, okay, go Andrew, you know, run your own race. That was our deal. And he would always come back and like kind of wait for me. Um, but, uh, I was trying to keep my heart rate in check. So I was, I had a, I had a cap for heart rate and that's, and you know, if, if it got up a, a, above a certain point, I'd slow down or I'd walk, but then at a, at maybe, I don't know, halfway through the race that went out the window, not because it was too high, but because it was just, there were other limiting factors. So the heart rate, as I mentioned that when mm-hmm. I was running, it was just not getting up that high just because I didn't have the the peripheral the the peripheral ability to keep executing or when i got these weird abdominal cramps so uh it was very much a race run by feel uh and i haven't done that before and it was uh it was quite an quite an interesting experience to just do the whole thing by feel and i really enjoyed it um it was it was you know it was like you, you didn't you weren't um you know i didn't feel like i was beholden to any kind of you know in, it's an internal metric, but it also almost feels external because it was my watch showing it to me. Uh, and instead, it was it was like, well, you know, should I be running right now? And so it, it, there, there, there came a point in the race where if I was running, I was really like I was I was just telling myself, you're winning now. Like if you're running, you're a superstar. You're doing great. Doesn't matter what your run looks like or how fast you're actually going. If you're running, you're amazing. If you're walking, you're still doing well. Just don't stop. And that, you know, that kind of carried the day. It worked out OK. Yeah, and it's it's interesting given our recent conversation with Tamara as well because mm-hmm. she relies more on feel than than data, um, maybe more so on the training side of things, but I think even during racing too. Um, but yeah, it's it's a whole new world, and that's that was another experience of mine because when you're doing an Ironman, like you're you know pretty well what your wattage should be and what your pace should be on the run, um, so there's not too much there there might be a hill or something that you have to deal with but that's about it that's the only thing on the the run that's really going to be an unknown but when you're doing this trail running like climbing over a boulder what's your <laughs> what's your threshold heart rate for climbing yeah. over a well, boulder threshold heart, I don't rate, know threshold heart rate but like uh, pace, pace goes completely well, out the window yeah threshold yeah. energy yeah. or power consumption sure. or whatever you want to call it but uh yeah it's it's things that you're not your body's not familiar with like you can you can get a good feel for road racing and you know how much you're taking out of your legs or how much you're how much effort you're putting in but all these other things where it's full body usage um it's just it's so different because now you're you're using other muscles and while they're maybe using some of your central glycogen stores but are they taking like are they adding extra cardiac load that your lungs can't keep up with and like these are questions that i don't know the answer to specifically and unless you're really experienced at trail racing it's hard to predict i don't know that anyone looks at it in that kind of detail because it's just the racing is too stochastic Mm -hmm. like i don't think you could you know even if you're really familiar with the course let's say it rains one day and it's way muddier it's a totally different you know yeah totally different scenario so i think like feel and knowing how to knowing what that effort feels like and what you can manage and what you cannot manage and also training that mental toughness component and obviously like the muscular endurance resiliency stuff, which was my biggest miss. 
um, was is is super duper important. And uh, I think everyone should do a trail race, <laughs> like it's just like a long trail race where you're well out of comfort zone, and uh, you know you you have to you kind of have to go to these places which are uncomfortable and unusual because it's a very different level of uncomfortable. I remember running my last marathon and, and just, you know, like you basically just, you're trying not to slow down as much as possible, right? Like that's the, that's the focus is, you know, you're just trying to maintain pace. There's not that much that it's, it's a very singular kind of focus. Whereas here, um, you know, it's a, it's a very different, uh, what you, what you pay attention to is, is very, very different. Um, but I think it's a very, yeah, it's a truly worthwhile experience. I, I'm really grateful for for getting the opportunity to do it. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know that I'm not really immediately looking forward to doing it again. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I think it's I can totally see why people get addicted to uh, trail racing because it is it is it is super it's so fun. dynamic. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's it, it, it does give you in a way like a break from from uh uh, from kind of just like one foot in front of the other. But uh, to your point about full body, I've never been more sore in. So like my <laughs> legs actually weren't as bad as, you know, let's say marathon legs in, in so, after some races. They weren't great, but they they were okay. And this is considering 2000 meters of elevation. Yeah, they're not taking the same. Yeah, it's not the same repeated totally. pounding. It's more like full extension where you're stepping high and, and things like that that you don't typically get with running. But also you get breaks, right? Like you're, you're changing the modality because walking is very different than running. Yep. It's very different. You know, there's the, the muscles you use is mm-hmm. the muscle use is very different and there's no eccentric contraction, which is what destroys your legs. Um, but I was like, Everything from 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 like spinal from like uh, cervical spine erectors I don't know what those muscles are called and like my traps all the way down to my toes like everything was sore like my my arms were sore my like all the tr- like all these the trunk muscles were sore <laughs> especially the the posterior chain trunk muscles and like obviously everything in the legs and the calves and like the Achilles were kind of angry. And, uh, when you mentioned all the way down to your toe muscles, I didn't even know there were really muscles well, to be sore there, they're, but they're that's, in your that's feet, what I find right? out so sometimes. The intrinsic <laughs> muscles, like the, the, the toe flexors are in your feet. Yeah. I know I'm being, I'm being an ass, but, uh, no, I, I think for me, it's funny. Like, you know, you've pushed yourself when you find new muscles you didn't know about because now they hurt and it's like, Oh, I didn't know I had a muscle there that did that, but, but it hurts now. So it must be there. <laughs> So it was a lot of fun. I mean, I did a lot of stupid stuff too. Like I, I wore a pair of shoes that I'd only tried once, um, mostly because like I had complete shoe failure. I had, I had two options, and then on one pair, my laces exploded like two weeks ago, and then on the other, and they were they're the they're Solomon shoes, so they have like their proprietary lacing system. Oh, uh, yeah. they weren't my number one choice anyway, just because I find them too too hard for really long stuff. But then I had a pair of Skechers that I really like, um, you know, big Skechers fan, um, just because they, they really work well for me. And the the outsole just peeled away. Uh, they were, they're not new shoes. They're just, they, they've been around the block a few times. But uh, yeah, they kind of, the, the grippy bit, the one with all the, the stuff with all the lugs uh, started peeling away. And so they weren't really runnable. So I got a new pair of Skechers, a totally different model, just because I, you know, wanted to try them. And they were really great, but they were a much higher stack height than I was used to. So I tripped a lot. And then there was also, because they were higher stack height and my ankles are already kind of dodgy, I also rolled my ankles a whole lot, especially in the beginning when I was properly trying to trail run it. When I started to like shuffle, like, uh, you know, finish of a, of an Ironman kind of run it towards the end, it didn't happen so much. (laughs) Yeah. The Ironman shuffle shuffle. shuffle was, was very like, very benign but in the beginning when i was like proper running it i rolled it a lot and it was uh it was not not so fun also new socks because my because i uh the, the socks i packed 
for the race it turned out to have a big hole in them. So I uh, I, I bought Expo socks <laughs> and I ran in those. I did know the socks, so I had run in that brand before, but they still wore brand new socks and a pair of shoes that I'd only want, worn once. And so these are all the things you should never, ever, ever, ever do. But, you know. It is what it is. Uh, poles or no poles? No poles. So I was thinking about it. I have a pair of poles. Okay. Um, and in, heights, in hindsight, I think I probably made the right decision. If it was any longer, I would have needed poles. But um, mm-hmm. I think in hindsight, I don't – also because I – like it would have been another new thing because I have exactly zero practice with poles. So it was a matter of like, okay, either now I start running with poles, like do a bunch of trail runs with poles, which I was too lazy to do, or don't bring the poles. And I didn't bring the poles. And I mean, if I was very proficient with them, I probably – you know, they probably would have helped. But uh, in the 65K, I would say 90% of people had no poles. But in the 125, everyone had poles, except for like maybe the fa- the fastest – boys and girls yeah and going back to my race as well like it was um overall less elevation i think i was 500 meters less but yeah. it was half the length so like the the, the, the amount of climbing per unit distance mm-hmm. was higher um like overall you did more but uh i think it was just an, a higher average grade i dealt with and i definitely needed the pulls like i didn't even question that after the fact it was just like yeah i would have been really suffering without i guess it's it's a case of just like do your homework a little bit on the course, look at the grades, look at the other people who've done it, talk to people. For sure. Talk to people. Yeah. I think, yeah, the biggest, yeah, the biggest shock there was just the, uh, the terrain was, uh, yeah, the technical nature of the terrain. I, I don't even know where to go to train it. I think there's some of that stuff up in Muskoka, uh, in Ontario, but, uh, certainly like Southern Ontario doesn't have anything like it. So, um, if I did it again, I'd have to think about it. Yeah. If you lived in Windsor, I mean, the biggest hill is the overpass for yeah. the, the 401. Well, it's not even so. the elevation. I knew I wasn't, I didn't have any options for the elevation, but then I also knew that I was going to walk it. It was just the, like the nonstop technical train. Like, so the way you would, tra- the way you would train for this, if I had access to it would be to do even like a long road run, like do a three, four hour easy road run and then go run an hour in the trails. You know, when you're beat up and tired and brain yeah, dead get that and, fatigue. and you have to now navigate all of these roots and rocks, and but um, live and learn. The mental toll is something that I think people really underestimate until yes. they do something like this. And then they realize, yeah, this is a huge mental, like it's a mental capacity limitation because I almost did a few yard sales where it's like you're running along and you just either don't see something because your brain is kind of half in another place. Um, but it's just difficult to focus that hard and that long. I, that's a great point. I actually found that I found the same thing too. And I was, there was the one thing that was pissing me off in the race. The one thing that was like, was starting to, you know, trying to, was kind of bringing me down was the fact that I had to constantly look at my feet. And that's why my neck was so sore at the end of it. It was because, and this is a beautiful area of the country. Um, I'd never been that far East. Well, I've been to the Maritimes, but kind of flew over this area. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's on the it's on the Gulf of St. Lawrence, and it's got you know the mountains and and the forests and the Gulf, and it's it's really mm-hmm. it's really really quite pretty. But I didn't have the opportunity to look at any of it because I was looking at my feet the whole race, <laughs> and I was. <laughs> Tell yeah. us about the mud oh, there. I, I, How does the I mud and dirt look? I can tell you everything you ever wanted to know about the mud, but the the, the beautiful scenery, I didn't have a, too much of an opportunity to enjoy. Um, and yeah, by the end of it, like I said, I just couldn't like I I couldn't mentally, I could not bring myself to run some of those technical sections just because yeah of of the mental fatigue because yeah. it's like you're paying attention to every step. It wasn't every step. I'm lying because when you're walking, you don't have to do that so much. But um, and then there were some parts that were pretty smooth, but most of it was was rough and yeah, required a lot of attention paying. Mm-hmm. 
So, okay, so we've done a, a rundown of your race. Um, the other topic that we kind of highlighted that we wanted to talk about was very much related, but just kind of the mentality of one of these races. Like, um, what do you think about going into it? How do you prepare yourself for the race? And um, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it ties in really well because you've got a lot of firsthand experience on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, this was something that I sort of developed over the last few years. This is just my own system for it. Um, and that kind of in, in broad strokes, it's you want to delay the suck as long as humanly possible. So that was my, that's, that's one of my, one of the principles. So one of the ways that I find that works for me is you want to, you know, stay out of your own head for as much as possible. And you, you know, I do that by talking to other people and thanking people that are, you know, volunteering or cheering. There's not a lot of that on the, um, you know, on a course like this, you got eight stations every, anywhere between seven and 18 kilometers apart. And, uh, so, but, uh, but, but talking to people and, and trying to practice actively practicing that gr- gratitude and not just inside your own head, but physically saying thank you to people for, for helping you, uh, mm-hmm. in your terribly broken French, uh, it was, uh, was something that was <laughs> that was that was useful um and then there were there would be road crossings where there would be um spectators cheering and like actively encouraging them to cheer more by cheering yourself for them was is something that i find works really really well and it, it, it helps lift my spirit and then kind of takes me out of uh, any kind of negative negative thoughts but one thing that i've um i've started practicing a little bit lately and i'm I'm going to come off as a complete hack because I don't really, I, I, I only know a very surface amount about this, about the philosophy here, but, uh, it's, um, it comes from, uh, classical stoicism, which as a, like a life philosophy, I really, I really dig, even though I, like I said, I know not very little about it. I've just read one book and I listened to a bunch of podcasts on it. That's the, that's the depth of my knowledge here, but there's a practice and I'm totally going to butcher it, but it's something like, um, it's called something like premeditatio malorum, and it's med- it's it's kind of uh, intentional meditation before whatever the thing is going to be on what could go wrong. And so this is what what I find interesting about this is that this flies in the face of all that positive self talk and the positive visualization, which I think has room in in race preparation or any mm-hmm. kind of difficult preparation. But for me, I find because I don't have I'm not a very anxious person, fortunately, like I don't I don't you know, I'm lucky not to suffer from anxiety. Um, so thinking about bad outcomes doesn't um, doesn't take me down a, a spiral like a, a downward spiral, which I imagine it might for some people. Um, so what I do, what I've started to do. Is think about like what possibly what bad things could happen to me on this race, and I'm not talking about like being eaten by a black bear. I'm t- you know, although there was a lot of bear shit on this on the course, <laughs> interestingly enough. Um, it, hmm. It's only well, it's black, only black bear, bears, you know, so you don't have to so. worry about them. No, no cougars or grizzlies in in, in Quebec. Um, so, uh, but but you know, thinking of like, like spraining an ankle or getting like a really bad cramp or or like you know running out of fuel or something or just getting really tired of, of running. And so I, I spent a little bit of time thinking about that kind of stuff and I have no idea if it worked, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I had a, a very like mentally, a, actually a very positive kind of race. There was, like I said, there was very few, um, instances where I, where it felt, uh, terribly onerous and I it felt like I had to, I had to quit. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, and I, I would assume that, and I could be wrong on this. This is completely just me guessing, but I would assume that um, some of the positivity actually comes from the fact that 
you know, you're in the race and it's like, Hey, I haven't done this. I haven't had to use all these, um, <laughs> these escape plans that I came up with and, and things are going way better than you had imagined. And it's, um, which is maybe kind of a glass half empty way of looking at it. But, um, but I, I'm sure there's some positive mentality there because there's a lot of stuff to get upset about and to get totally. into your own head about with these races. So if you start thinking like, yeah, things are going way better than I was prepared for, then certainly that would be a benefit. I think that's the print. That's the, that's the, uh, one of the ideas behind the, the practice that, you know, when you, you kind of spend some time thinking about like this, this the bad stuff that can happen that when, uh, you know, when it, if it happens, then you're like, okay, I thought about this. Here I am. What am I going to do about it? It's not like it's no longer a, sh- a shock. And you make a really good point. Like if it doesn't happen, you're like, oh, hey, this thing that I thought might happen didn't happen. And it's not like you're you're not like, you know, bringing this on yourself to to think about it. It's just it's just preparing yourself for, you know, for for a negative outcome and then feeling pretty, pretty stoked when it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I find really helpful uh, when I'm racing is if there's a lot of a lot to th- think about before the race. Like an Ironman is a great example because you've got huge amount of equipment. Everything's got to be tuned up properly. You know, there's little details like, do you leave your bike in the highest gear? And then when you hop on, you can't actually turn over the pedals because you didn't think about that. Like I've done that a number of times, Mm -hmm. but, um, what I do is I set up a little checklist and I've got it on my phone so that every time I do a race, I go through every single item of this checklist and it comes down to packing too. It's like when I do a flyaway race, have I packed all of these items? And I go through one by one and it brings that peace of mind and that comfort where it's not the, um, you know, not the home alone scenario where you remember that you've forgotten your kid, you know, while you're on the plane. Uh, but it, it gives you that peace of mind and that mental comfort when you're going into a race. And even the morning of where you have a checklist of, you know, maybe what you want to eat in the morning. Cause I assume a lot of people pre-plan out their race morning meal well in advance because they want something that's comfortable, something that's familiar. Mm -hmm. They're not going to all of a sudden do like salsa and eggs or something when they've never had that before. Uh, Because I can only imagine the kind of disasters that would result in. But um, it's like having, having everything taken care of. It's like, it's so comforting. And you go into the race and you don't have to think like, did I have transition set up properly? Did I do this properly? It's just ready for you. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, some of the most relaxing starts to races I've had have actually been Ironman events that I've like ultra OCD planned this stuff out. Um, and, and maybe it's just because the, you know, it's going to be a long race and you know, it's going to be a long day that you kind of prepare yourself for that. But some of the most stressful races I've had have actually been like the super sprint races where you're, <laughs> you're only on course for maybe 30 to 40 minutes. And, and those are just like, from the start you're basically beyond threshold and like the super intense races but it's also for me even though it's short those were the most stressful and when i say stressful like i have evidence of this because my heart rate starting the race like before i've even done anything is sometimes around 140 <laughs> so <laughs> you're walking around like, heart rate yeah <laughs> yeah definitely a lot of adrenaline going there yeah for sure but that's part of the that's part of it right like that's that's your body getting ready for it for for that kind of intensity exactly yeah, and this, of course, is the is the is the exact opposite end, but uh, yeah, routines are are really comfortable. I think, and that they're everyone everyone you talk to for for race planning um, will tell you to 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 do exactly what you do and and to write that list and to have it ready. Um, we should, uh, if you if you don't mind sharing yours, maybe we'll put it in the show notes, like Andrew Buckrell's 
pre-race prep. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to edit it with some of the more personal stuff taken out. <laughs> Take three shits before you before you put on your wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not quite that bad. Quite that bad. Uh, no, no, I think it'd be a good starting point. And obviously, everyone's got their own variation of uh, different equipment that they have and the way they prepare things. But I think it's so helpful. And really, the way it built up was just like the first race I did, the first flyaway race I did, I just documented everything that I had packed. And I thought, oh, this is a good starting point. And mm -hmm. even, you know, down to the nutrition that you have packed and the different, uh, like I have... So, uh, my friends know that I buy really, really cheap, shitty sunglasses and I've got like a different pair that I would have for the bike and a different pair for the run. And they're basically disposable. Like at one point I was getting them off Amazon for, they were actually safety glasses that were tinted in there. I think they were like five ninety nine. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, so I mean, if I had to throw them away at an aid station, it's not like I'm concerned or if, you know, they fall off on the bike, I'm not concerned. And I've always got another pair for the run and you can leave it if, you know, if you're fine with the equipment you do have. But it's it's that kind of stuff that uh, that attention to detail that gives you comfort going into the race, thinking like even a lot of these contingencies, like you mentioned, um, with kind of the the prepare for the worst philosophy, um, like you're you are preparing for the worst, not only mentally, but actually having the equipment there for, for a lot of these things. Totally. Yeah, that that really does help. I think it, it, it precludes some of these worst case scenarios. Uh, mm -hmm. from happening if you if you have your stuff prepared yeah is there anything else you wanted to cover or does that kind of tick off all the boxes on the checklist no i think so to speak. That's right. i think i think this does tick off all the boxes so listeners if you have an opportunity to do uh, a long trail race you know train for it better than i did uh don't wear new shoes uh but uh totally worth worth the experience um because it's just you know and this kind of is coming from somebody who does who used to do exclusively road it is so different and so in in many ways so liberating that it's it's entirely worth uh entirely worth the pain <laughs> and the and the effort uh to um to do this and also look trail running is amazing for you road runners we've we've talked about this in the past mm -hmm. uh, there's a pretty good body of evidence that changing the terrain that you run on uh is is incredibly beneficial so if you're a road runner and especially if you're doing like uh you know if you have uh, a hilly, a hilly long course race or a hilly, let's say, um, yeah, like marathon or something like that. Doing some trail running really puts hills in perspective. Uh, it really puts like <laughs> slippery terrain in perspective. I know I've run, I've, oh, yeah. I've done winter running. So Toronto winters, those of you who don't live here, they're not too bad. They're not usually too cold, but they're usually, there's quite a bit, you know, there's a fair bit of snow and it's usually really slushy and wet and slippery. There's a lot of freeze thaw going on. So there's a lot of ice on our roads and on, on our sidewalks. Um, and, uh, and so whenever I run in the winter with, with road runners, people who don't run trails are like, oh, it's so slippery and it's so wet. And then when you do trail running it's just like, nah, that, you know, like your, your, your whole perspective changes, like what's slippery and what's wet and what's muddy and what's dirty mm -hmm. and what's hilly, it becomes totally like a totally different concept. Like my concept of what was technical trail is now very different than what it was, <laughs> you know, eight days ago. <laughs> Uh, boulders were not on that list before i'm assuming not, yeah not not these kind of boulders um so it was uh it's it's totally worth doing it's it's a it's a new experience it's eye-opening so if 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 there's a takeaway for anyone listening to this who has not yet done a trail race is go sign up and uh you know go kick your own butt on a on a trail just don't worry about what your time is going to be like <laughs> yeah 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 get your ego ready for that yeah forget pace forget I, I i work sometimes with with people who are doing their first trail trail running uh races and they're like what pace should i do i'm like no 
Nah, pace is not a pace is not a concept that we work with in trail running. I mean, unless it's a very flat, fast race. So, putting you completely on the spot here, um, can I count on an early commitment to doing the Sinister Seven next year, coming up <laughs> to do the fifty miler? A fifty miler with that much elevation? Yeah, I uh, I'd like to do it. I think the the guy I ran with, Andrew Hale, um, he is signed up to do um, Guamish fifty fifty miler. No, 50K. He's doing the 50K, which is in five weeks, I think, or four weeks now. Um, and he told me what the elevation for that was, and it's wild. Like, you guys have a lot of climbing out there in the, in the Well, mountain. there's these bumpy things called mountains. That... <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've heard some horror stories about Squamish, uh, and, and Sinister sounds even harder. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to fence it. I was actually going to oh, okay. not, not do too much next year because of, um, because of you know, some of the work projects um just so i can focus on it and try to keep try to i like training for training sakes andrew and uh i don't know where my what my racing is going to look like next year I've, i'm kind of i might be i might be taking a year off racing or anything like serious racing but uh yeah it could be fun. well i'll keep the peer pressure on you deal you can you can keep playing. that's that's fair <laughs> that's fair all right well why don't we wrap it up there then i think uh we've probably covered enough for today so <laughs> agree so listeners as always yeah thank you so much for for tuning in um keep your questions coming keep your requests coming we're we're doing our best to uh to cover them uh and also trying to provide a little bit of variety between the you know the, the really technical stuff which you know i think we uh we get a, we get a, a fair bit of feedback on positive feedback fortunately like the the chat that we did with um uh, with Adam Karen of Zero Friction, uh, that got a lot of uh, a lot of kudos on the different uh, media platforms. So appreciate that. Appreciate the kind words, uh, and then we're trying to intersperse that with some of the other stuff, just to you know uh, keep things interesting and also pr- try to present a, a little bit of balance. But if there's something that you want to learn about, like a specific, either a specific expert that you want us to try and reach out to and get on the show, or a specific technology, uh, one actually just came through my email from one of our patrons. Uh, Aaron Walker, who was asking about um, who wants us to cover uh, continuous glucose monitoring, uh, which is something that's been on my radar for quite some time. I, I reached like out to Super Sapiens. Yeah, I reached out to Super Sapiens. They haven't gotten back to me just yet. But uh, Alex Hutchinson wrote a wrote a piece on them, not on them specifically, but on CGM, uh, which I have yet to read. It's on one of my tabs, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read that, and maybe we can get Alex on the show because that would be a that would be a, an amazing interview. Absolutely, because he's yeah he's a uh, a smart cookie who's very very well spoken um but yeah we'll uh, we'll try to get alex on and then we'll if there's anybody else that you want uh, you want on the show do let us know and with that we'll wrap up thanks for listening everyone